You're listening to The Road with Pastor Teacher Steve Holt. Jesus sees stuff, you guys. Those that have betrayed you, many of you have been through divorces, many of you have been through sexual abuse, molestation, stuff like that has happened in your life. And God sees that. And I'm telling you, there will be justice at some point. There really will. God is not missing that. Today, Pastor Steve continues his series on the book of Revelation. At The Road, our vision is to raise up wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information on The Road, visit theroad.org. We hope you are encouraged by today's message from Pastor Teacher Steve Holt. We're in the book of Revelation, and I've got a map. I think you've got that, don't you, Paul? A map of the seven churches. So I thought this was a really good map. And the reason I like it is because it shows the mail route of why. Um, in the book of Revelation, the seven churches, which are the first two chapters, he goes in the order that he goes in. So we've already done the, the church at Ephesus a few weeks ago. We did Smyrna. We did Pergamos. And tonight we're on Thyatira. But I thought this was helpful as a visual to see the mail route. Notice Patmos out in the Aegean Sea there. That's where John is, where he was exiled by the Roman government. And there you can go to the cave today. I've never been there, but I've gone online and looked at it. And there's a cave called John's Revelation Cave. And it's believed traditionally, it doesn't say this in scripture, but tradition says that he was in a cave when he had this revelation of Jesus Christ. And so, as I've shared in the past, the first three chapters are all in red. I mean, if you have one of those Bibles that's red, it's a lot of red. Because Jesus is literally speaking the words to the seven churches. And we're looking at these seven churches. And each one of these churches represent both a local meaning to that time period, a translocal meaning for all time, and a personal meaning for each of us. And so what the theme that we see throughout the book of Revelation, which may surprise you because it is kind of a briefing. It's like a Jesus briefing on the last days. And really starting more about chapter 6 with the seals, we will start to get into the prophecy of the last days of the coming of Christ. And, it, and this is like his intelligence briefing to the church to get ready. Because God is revealing secrets in the book of Revelation. But there's this overarching theme about the last day's church that we don't want to miss. And that is this one word, overcomer. Overcomer. Don't miss this. Because the purpose of the book of Revelation is a training manual to be an overcomer. And in our lives... As we move into these latter days, church, there's going to be some hairy stuff coming down that's going to be really, really difficult even for the most devout Christians. And we know in the book of Revelation, many are going to fall away. I mean, a lot of people that you're hanging out with, might even be some right here in the church right now, you're really not even saved yet. You, you've come to church. You have uh, maybe have a belief system about Jesus. By the way, Satan believes in Jesus. Um, demons believe in Jesus. But your heart isn't born again yet. And so you're sitting there and you're in these, you come to the road or you've been going to church your whole life. Maybe, maybe you're baptized and confirmed in a church. 
And still, when you read the word, it's like so boring. It never comes, you, oh, you hear Steve tell us this, or you hear, you hear another guy, another pastor say that about hearing from God. And you're like, I never hear from God. Well, it might be that you're not born again. That you really haven't given your whole heart to Christ and become a Jesus follower. Now, you're a Jesus believer, but you're not yet a Jesus disciple. What's interesting about tonight is when I heard that the forge, our young 13, 14, 15-year-old kids are getting baptized tonight. I thought, you know, I'm going to open that up to the rest of you guys. So if you've never been baptized, we're going to do a baptism of fall, by the way. So we're going to do it again. So it's not, you know, not going to be like 100 years before you do another baptism. But it'll be in the fall. But the waters are warm tonight. And if you, at the end of this service, feel like that God is calling you to get baptized, um, it'd be our joy to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the theme of Revelation is being an overcomer. It's a, it's a training manager for overcoming. Now, I have a D group. That's a discipleship group. You guys are hearing those words. I was thinking, okay, if you're new tonight, you know, what are they talking about with these D groups? We call D groups our discipleship groups. And most people in this church are in a discipleship group. Men with men, women with women. You're about three to five people in a D group. So this morning, I was doing Life in Christ, which is a study I do with some, with some young guys. All these guys are in their 20s. Uh, or late teens, early 20s and stuff, and late 20s, right? Like really late 20s, almost 30. Whatever, I don't know, I, I think so. Anyway, we're in, we're studying the Word of God, the power of the Word of God. And so in studying that, and then getting ready for Revelation, I thought, you know, the thing that's the most important aspect of growing in Christ is being a man or a woman in the Word. It's the Word of God that's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the Word of God that brings revival to your soul. It's the Word of God that when we hide it, enables us not to sin against the Lord. And so, let me just quickly go over those verses in, that we've covered already about overcoming. And then I want to I just frame that and then we're going to get into fire tire. The first church we looked at was the church at Ephesus. That was in Revelation chapter 2, 1 through 7. Remember the church at Ephesus was a hardworking, persevering church. But it had lost its first love. Now that's some of us here. Some of you here are just, you're going to be so fired up about doing the Springs Initiative. I bet you almost all the church here is going to probably do something with the Springs Initiative. It's going to be really exciting. But I want you to be asking the Lord, even as we're doing things like the Springs Initiative, that you're doing it because you love the Lord. Not just to work hard, but you love the Lord. And church at Ephesus was a hardworking church we studied, but it had lost its first love. And then I look at verse 7 in chapter 2, it says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And what we talked about is that the tree of life is Jesus. To eat from Jesus, to, to be nurtured in Jesus, comes from God's Word. Now, Jake and Angie. Jake leads worship here sometimes. And Jake and Angie shared their testimony with me a number of months ago. And both of them kind of come out of heavy drug use, heavy alcohol use. And they're here right now 
Because you're an overcomer. And so we, we overcome by eating of the tree of life. And then we look at Smyrna. The church in Smyrna. A, a crushed church. A church that was crushed but was a fragrance unto Christ even in persecution. Look at verse 11. Chapter 2 verse 11. He who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death overcoming. The third church was the church at Pergamos. Look at verse 17. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone. We talked about what that white stone symbolizes. It was actually in correlation with the Olympics, that when an Olympic runner was victorious, he was given not a trophy. He was given a white stone. This is speaking of being an overcomer, a victorious overcomer in your life. Now turn in your Bibles. If you have your Bibles or your iPads or whatever you use. Look at 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16. I'm gonna, this is off a little bit and then we're going to get right back into Revelation. But 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now listen to this. Don't miss this. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Men and women, there's absolutely no way that you're going to survive in these latter days unless you're getting thoroughly equipped for every good work from God's Word. That's how we overcome. We're overcomers by letting the living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, Word of God flow within us daily. Daily. And the reason many believers are dropping off, the reason our young people are dropping off, and I don't know what happened, but that little freshman young man committed suicide this week. The halls were full of kids uh, weeping and stuff over that. I got texts from all over the place about it. We need the Word of God, men and women. We need parents who are in the Word, who are training their kids up in the Word. Liz and I will be the first to tell you as parents of seven kids that the we messed up a lot, but one of the things we did get right is we, Liz especially, was regularly in the Word and still is to this day, every, almost every day with our kids. Now Samuel's teaching the Word. Each kid, as they get to a certain age, they have to teach the other kids, verse by verse. And they're going through the Old Testament right now. And so I want to say this. I know it's off the beaten path, but I want to say that if you're not regularly in the Word, you will atrophy. It's like working out. You know, you've got to pump iron if you want to stay strong. And as you get older in age, it's more important that you're doing that because you atrophy and you spiritually can atrophy. And when you spiritually atrophy, you don't even know it. You know, there have been runners, marathon runners that just drop over dead because something was wrong and they didn't know it. And so, and so in our lives, many Christians are that way and they get used to like a, a diet that has no spiritual protein to it. It's all junk food. I mean, if you're watching the Word of God taught on TV, that's fine. I think that's good. Praise God it's on TV. But if that's your main 
sustenance, for spiritual growth, to me, that's like watching some guys in a gym working out and somehow you experience this, this effect of feeling more manly because you watch them pump earn. No, you've got to do it. Because here's the deal. I don't want manna that someone else has already digested. I want manna for me. I need manna for me. Right? Don't you? You need a fresh word almost every day. And the reason I say this is because I don't want you, I don't want you legalistic. I mean, because nobody does it every day. And if they say they do, they're liars. <laughs> it's not possible. I mean, we're busy people, right? So we, we're going to miss. But you regularly need an intake of God's word. And we, we use PB&J with those bookmarks that we give out and stuff. And we'll get those to you if you don't have them. But to be in God's word. So tonight, we're in God's word. Revelation chapter 2. We're at Thyatira. Thyatira is interesting. Thyatira is about 35 miles east of Pergamos. If you saw that trade route that we showed you earlier, you know, starting down um, in relation to Ephesus and then moving north-south, you come to Thyatira. And all these churches, by the way, you guys, are all in modern Turkey. So where Turkey is today is where these churches were located at that time. And, and the ruins for each of these cities is still there. But the church of Thyatira was located in a beautiful valley on a trade route founded by a, one of the generals of Alexander the Great, Seleucus. And here's what's interesting about, about Thyatira over all the other cities. You've heard, have you ever heard of trade guilds? Trade guilds, there never been trade guilds before until this time. And Thyatira was the first city to have trade guilds. And what those were, were those people that were in a particular trade formed kind of like a fraternity or sorority. And it was a guild. And to understand what we're going to read here, you got to understand that what they had is you had a trade guild god. Because remember, this is under the Greek system and the Roman system with a pantheon of gods. So there are many gods. So there was a, for those guys who, who did carpet, there was a carpet god. And if you were into textiles, you were, there was a textile god. There's many of them, but there's like a main one. And what they did, and you'll understand this in a moment when we talk about Jezebel, is that they would go into these rooms, and we found the ruins of this, and there would be a couch or a sofa, and they would come in there, and they would have these sexual, drunken orgies to the trade god, to the guild god. Now, you remember in Acts chapter 16, you may remember the story, Paul meets Lydia. Lydia, if you recall, was one who worked in purple fabrics. And she was from Thyatira. So if Prince had been alive back then, he probably would have lived in Thyatira because purple was their main color coming out of Thyatira. And it was the reason, the reason was because there was a certain kind of snail. Believe it or not, there was a certain kind of snail. And there was a certain kind of matter root. Both were crushed mixed together and dried out and that's where you get the color purple at that time and that was prevalent in Thyatira. So, imagine you get saved. You come to know the Lord and you're in a trade guild. And what your trade guild regularly does is come together and, and give homage to this God of this trade guild. And 
The best description I can remember was my time in Japan living and working in Tokyo where it was required of all the businessmen that you had to stay behind after work and basically get drunk with the guys. If you were going to be in the club, you had to get drunk with the guys. And so late at night, Liz remembers this, about 11 p.m., 11.30, we could hear the businessmen staggering down the alleyway near our apartment, whistling some interesting tunes, singing some interesting songs, because they had to be within their, within their company, hanging out with their company. And so that's the context of Thyatira. And so the Christians are struggling, you guys. They're struggling because on the one hand, they can't fit in with the trade guild anymore. But they also don't fit in at church. And we'll explain why in just a moment. Because something really, really weird is going on. This is the first time adultery is used in the book of Revelation. These things says the Son of God. This is really important. Who has eyes like a flame of fire. And feet like fine brass. Jesus can see it all. Look at verse 23. Same passage, same chapter. Look at verse 23. I am he who searches minds and hearts. How many of you have had injustice done to you? Where you've been ripped off, stabbed in the back, or betrayed? Raise your hand if that's ever happened to you. And for you that are not raising your hands, it's in your future. I promise you. Um, but, but you've been ripped off. How many has it happened in the church? Everybody, same people. Like hands higher. Okay. Yeah, me too. And it's happened to me. It's happened to you. It's all happened. And it will happen to all of us. This sin, but God sees that. You know what a comfort that is? Have you thought about that? That he's got flaming eyes and he sees injustice. You know, a comfort to me has been Luke 18. Luke 18 is that parable where Jesus says, There was once a widow and she had nothing. And she went to an unjust judge because she wanted justice. And she cried out to him and he said, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I don't fear God and I don't fear men. And then, the, and then Jesus goes on with the parable to say, but because she kept bugging him, Steve Holt translation, because she kept bugging him, because she would not let him rest. He said, okay, I don't fear God, I don't fear man, but I will give her justice. And then he goes, how much more does the Lord care about his children who will bring Yea, even with patience, answers to their prayers. And it's interesting because when Jesus begins that parable, he says, he told this parable so that they would pray and not lose heart. So men and women, Jesus sees stuff. And we may not see what we hope to be the, the result of our prayers for a while. Matter of fact, it, it seems in Luke 18, you won't. Because God's teaching you patience. And God's teaching you perseverance. Uh, uh, James 1. Count it all joy when you counter various trials. Knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. It produces endurance. So that you'll be complete and perfect and lacking in nothing. I hate that verse. Do you realize that becoming complete and perfect and lacking in nothing is because of patience? And patience is because of trials? That's a real bummer. But the reality is, 
Here's what's cool. Is I think the way we start sucking life out of our circumstances instead of letting our circumstances suck life out of us. It's really, I'm getting perfected. I'm becoming complete. If I'll endure with patience and pray and not lose heart. And so Jesus sees stuff, you guys. Those that have, that have betrayed you. Many of you have been through divorces. Many of you have been through uh, sexual abuse, molestation, stuff like that has happened in your life. And God sees that. And I'm telling you, there will be justice at some point. There really will. God is not missing that. And he has eyes like flames of fire, which to me has a connotation of the holiness of God. The holiness of God. He can see through, don't miss this, false religious spirits. The church is packed with false religious spirits. People who pose, pretend, and seemingly are perfect in everything they do. And they're hypocrites. Because they've never learned the vulnerability of being open and honest and finding the freedom that comes through breaking that religious spirit in their life. God's eyes examine leaders. God's eyes examine churches. God's eyes examine pastors. God's eyes examine nations. God is examining our nation. His eyes are like flames of fire and his feet like burnished bronze upon America. So today I was in Amos. And I just, I just felt led to just spend time in Amos. So I read through Amos. For our nation. Praying for our nation. We are a result of the leaders that we have. The leaders we have today would have never been the leaders that they are in the positions that they are 35 years ago. They would have been a joke. But because we've joked our way through life for so long, that's now our leaders. We got jokers for leaders who've been joking for 30 years. Verse 19. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. So one of the things that Jesus sees, and he says it twice just in this verse, he sees men and women, your works. He sees your labor of love. He sees your service. He sees your faith. He sees your patience. Don't miss that. When nobody else notices you, he notices you. I mean, it's amazing the passages like Psalm 78. Psalm 78 says that he took David from the sheepfolds to be king. You see, Jesus was noticing David when his dad didn't even know where he was. I mean, Samuel, the, the prophet Samuel. I mean, this is, this is the Billy Graham of Israel at that time. He's coming to your house. And he says, I want to meet everybody in your family. Billy Graham's coming. Um, Louis Palau's coming. President Barack Obama. I mean, we're talking about big wigs coming. I want to meet all of your kids. And you forget one? So here was a young man that was the least, even in his own family. We know in 1 Samuel 17, when he goes into the valley of Elah against Goliath, Eliab totally makes fun of him because he wants to take on Goliath. He's the least in his family. Even his dad doesn't know where he's at when the, when the prophet Samuel comes. 
But it says in, in uh, Psalm 78, he took him. Second Chronicles 16, 9 says, The eyes of the Lord look to and fro across the earth to find those whose hearts are wholly committed to him that he might fully support them. So, Leaders may not notice you. Your family may think you're the weirdest guy because you go to church now and you go to that weird church where the pastor wears jeans and stuff. And that's not a real church because he doesn't wear a tie. And it can't be a real church because they do rock and roll music worship. And it can't be a real church because they're borrowing a church. They don't even have their own church. I mean, that's like a weird church. That's not a church. They don't even like have like a cross anywhere. Oh, okay. We got one. Yeah. We're legit. Whoa, we have a cross now. But God notices. When nobody else notices, God notices. And he notices your good works. And so if you're cleaning a bathroom here, if you're vacuuming a carpet, if you're going to be scraping and painting in a few weeks with us, Jesus notices. And he loves you. And he's with you. When nobody else notices. Don't miss that. I'm your pastor. And a lot of times I don't notice all the cool things that happen around here. But Jesus does. And he loves you and he's with you. You know, there's no other faith in all of the world like Christianity. We build hospitals. We build orphanages. We build churches. We do medical clinics. We're going to be doing that in Brazil. A group of them is going to be in Brazil doing a medical clinic. And, and, and sharing their, their faith and taking care of the poor. Buddhists don't build hospitals. Muslims don't feed the poor. Christians do. When I went to Japan back in the uh, 80s, um, I would meet these kids on this college campus and they would say, you know, after the war, you guys came and you just built all these hospitals and universities and they knew where they were. And these kids weren't even churchgoers. They didn't know anything about Christ, but they knew what Christians had done after the war. God notices our good works. I think about this church. And I don't know all the history of this church. But this church is 40 years old. Chapel Hills Church. I just heard um, this week that um, Circle Drive Baptist is up for sale. There's another church right up here um, near uh, Shriver. I can't remember the name of it. But they, that church just got sold. And I think a school, a charter school got the building or something. So here's the deal. Churches come and go. But they did works that Jesus saw and he hasn't forgotten that. God loves you when you do good works. As Martin Luther who said, we're saved by works alone, but we're not saved by works that are alone. That's a great quote. You're saved by faith alone, but you're not saved by faith that is alone. So your salvation is faith alone, but faith, proof of your faith is that it's not alone. So if you have no desire to help people, if you have no desire to love people, if you have no desire to give and to care and be there for people, then you need to really examine if you're in the fold. I mean, if you're really in. Because James says, faith without works is dead. It doesn't mean your salvation is by works. It means that works are a result of your salvation. Verse 20. So here's what I want to talk about here. This is really interesting. This, I'm going to call it, if you want to put a rubric over this, the Jezebel church system. We're going to call this the Jezebel church system. That's my term. And I'll explain it in just a moment. Nevertheless, 
I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now again, he's using an Old Testament situation. If you remember at Pergamos, we talked about the doctrine of Balaam. That was a couple weeks ago. This is a doctrine, I'm going to call it a Jezebel church system. There's a lot of churches that are under the influence of this Jezebel spirit. First of all, let me say this, there's no woman named Jezebel. I've never met anybody who named their kid Jezebel. Okay, and at this time, even in Asia Minor, with both Romans, Greeks, and those that were um, Israeli who'd become believers, Jezebel is not a positive name even back then because everybody knew the history of Israel about Jezebel. So this, first of all, it's not a person named Jezebel. It's actually a spirit over a woman that he's calling Jezebel. And it's a Jezebel system that, now listen to this, of idolatry and sexual immorality. Idolatry and sexual immorality. Jezebel in the Old Testament was a vile and evil woman who led Israel into the worship of Baal. It seems to be similar to the cult of the Nicolaitans, which we talked about a few weeks ago, and the doctrine of Balaam. Compromising holiness leading to idolatry and sexual sin. So, here's what I think it is. And this is just from commentaries I've read and historians who say they believe that this woman that he's calling Jezebel to, to infer a particular way in which she was influencing the church was probably a leader of one of the trade guilds. And here's what we think she did. And tell me if it's not appropriate to our day. To say something like this. Look, when we get together as... People who dye carpets. So you might be a carpet dyer. Um, and I've been to Morocco. And you'll, you can go up into Morocco. And I've been up in these parts of Morocco. Where it's exactly. Except for the cars and the motorcycles. It looks exactly like the time of Jesus. And that's where they do a lot of the filming. For Middle Eastern movies and stuff like that. Um, where they're doing Jesus movies and stuff like that. They do it in Morocco. So you could go up in a building. We were up in this building. And you could see them dyeing the carpets. The way they've done it now for thousands of years. So they've got the vats and everything. And they, and they run a shirt through. Or they run a, a carpet through. Whatever. And they've got all these colors. So that, that might be a guild for example. And it could be that this woman's head of that. She says look. When we get together. I know you're believers now. I'm a believer too. But look. You can't evangelize if you don't fraternize. You can't evangelize if you don't fraternize. So get a little bit drunk. It's okay. A little bit of sex. That's okay too. Because we're going to try to reach them for Christ. It doesn't mean anything. That's not a real God. We all know that's a fake God. That little thing. That little man. That's up there on the shelf. In the guild. Like where the couches are and everything. It doesn't mean anything. It's just an idol. So it's Okay. And so it seems that she drew many from the church in Thyatira in with, listen, a combination of idolatry and sexual immorality. Because here's the thing we got to understand. Spiritual fornication. Spiritual fornication always leads to sexual fornication. Not the other way around. Most of the time. Spiritual fornication. What do I mean? I mean compromising your true love. 
Compromising your true love spiritually. That's what concerns me about so many pastors that um, are acquiescing right now doctrinally and theologically and biblically to the doctrines of America. I would say, kind of the greed of America, the idolatry of America, they're, they're spiritually fornicating because they're giving up their first love for other lovers because it's easier and it's cooler because it's really important now to be cool and hip. So the real deal right now is to be kind of cool and hip. And listen, if you're not careful, spiritual fornication can happen, which can lead to sexual fornication and religious syncretism. And so that's what was happening at this time. And so she calls herself a prophetess. Have you met any card-carrying prophets lately? Usually we run them off pretty quick around here, but um, they're around. And that's what they, they, their identification is they're a prophet or they're a prophetess. And they've got some new teaching. That they want to bring into the church. I call that the Jezebel system. The Jezebel system. This deeper teaching that gets us away from the main and the plan. I remember a number of years ago a church in Denver. The pastor was a friend of mine. Who got involved in this thing in his church called soulmate prayer partners. And it was men with women, women with men. And you know where that went. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. God always gives us a chance to repent. He always gives us time to turn from our wicked ways. If you're sleeping around, if you're involved in drug stuff, if you're involved in immorality right now, God will give you a chance to repent and you can repent tonight. Because there is, there is a grace period. I'll call it a grace period with the Lord. There really is. Now, there's always grace. You're always loved by him. But you could also be under the discipline of the Lord because you wouldn't repent. And so we see it in our country with STD. We see it in our country with abortions. We see it in our country with AIDS. Other stuff that we could go on and on. Some new viruses coming out even in the last month because of sexual transmitted diseases that with our sex-saturated culture have brought spiritual and sexual fornication into our world. And God gives us a chance to repent. Major denominations are compromising in the area of sexual licentiousness. Instead of using God's word to define what those boundaries are, which bring, listen guys, that bring freedom... When we take, have you ever noticed you take boundaries away from kids, they actually go into bondage. Because you don't know what the rules are. And so God's given us boundaries that lead to freedom. And here's the deal, you always get found out. It's amazing to me, even with some of our most famous people who did some pretty interesting things, who are presidents of our country and leaders, even in post-mortem, they get found out. And suddenly all of the accolades are just thrown out because God allows them to be found out. So this is the way I've seen it over the years. Is there, there's kind of a level one where your conscience is pricked. Spirit of God's pricking your conscience about something and you have a chance to repent. If you choose not to, then God reveals your sin to someone who comes to you. And says, 
I think this is happening. I mean, I can't prove it, but I saw you here and there and there and here. And if you don't repent, God then goes public. So repent. Under the beautiful, wonderful, loving grace of God. We love you here. We're here for you. But come to Christ. Repent. Come to him and let the forgiving, joyful power of the Holy Spirit restore you. Don't you love that word, restore? Restore. I've gone to Habitat for Humanities Restore downtown. And I've had, like we've done all of these remodels at our house. And sometimes we have an extra door. So we take it to restore. Because they're going to use that when they're remodeling a house or, they're, or building a house. They'll use that door. Restore. It's a good word. We've had to restore our house many times because of remodeling that we've done. And it's so awesome to restore. And sometimes you need to get restored. Don't you? Get restored. The, the blazing eyes of the Lord are healing eyes. Are loving eyes. Caring eyes. He says to this woman, we're calling her Jezebel, indeed I will cast her into a sick bed. Now actually, in the Greek, it doesn't say sick bed. It just says bed. It's interesting that the translator decided to put sick bed. So this could be deathbed. But the, the actual translation would be more like this. Indeed, I will cast her onto a bed. Remember the beds in the guilds? Don't miss this. Remember that? They had beds, sofas in these guild places where they worship these idols. So it's a play on words. And those who commit adultery with her, first time adultery is used in Revelation, with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. So you can't repent and turn around unless you have the Holy Spirit. So I believe he's speaking to the church at Thyatira. He's speaking to believers who need to repent. Verse 23. I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Basically he's saying repent or die. You see, the consequences of sin, it's interesting, we're going to take communion tonight. And in the institution in 1 Corinthians about communion, it says that if you take it in an unholy manner, which in that context was broken relationships within the church, some of you are sick and some of you, he says, actually sleep. Now, how many sermons have you heard on that? We actually have a righteous God. We actually have a loving God who actually cares about holiness in our lives. And holy communion is called holy communion because it's holy communion. Communion, meaning relationship, meaning community. And he's saying that if this woman doesn't repent... Not only is she going to be judged, but also there's others that have been involved in spiritual and sexual fornication. And look what's happened over the years. With the Branch Davidians. With David Koresh. 
with uh, the Mormons and Joseph Smith and their whole history. I mean, God's judgment on cults, God's judgment on pastors, God's judgment on churches. And some of the great churches that were here when I first came here 20 years ago, some of them basically don't even exist now because of what I would say would be spiritual and sexual fornication. Now to you I say and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine who have not known the depths of Satan, another play on words, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast to what you have until I come. And what he's meaning by the depths of Satan was this idea of the deeper teaching. So, so you, had, you had these prophets going around. You had these false apostles coming with, with what is an early version of Gnosticism. And like, I don't want to go into a huge detail on Gnosticism, but Gnosticism comes from the word Gnosis, and Gnosis means knowledge. And it's this idea of this secret knowledge that only they have. You ever met people like that? You know, they kind of, they kind of, you know, you're, you're telling them your story, and they're kind of going, hmm, hmm, yeah, yeah, you know, God's, God's speaking to me right now. They've got like this hidden knowledge. And it's like, I've met so many of those in my early days that I got involved like with charismatic stuff and everything. Because I don't like, I mean, I love all the gifts of spirit stuff, but you get some Looney Tunes in there too, you know. And so I'd meet these Looney Tunes and they, they and I was so naive. Like, what? Are you getting something from the Lord? Oh, yeah. I kept getting the word garbage can. <laughs> oh, what does that mean? Um, it means you need to clean up your life. Yeah, or whatever. You know, it'd be some stupid thing like that. You know, and some of it's real, but a lot of it's not. And you know, every year we come to Easter and Christmas. Easter and Christmas. And you get Newsweek and Time Magazine. And they're still trying to figure out where Jesus was born. You ever read those articles? Don't. Okay, I'm a pastor. I get paid to read them. So I have to read them, you know. So I'm reading, you know, I'm looking at these things. I'm like, why don't they just ask us? We'll tell them where he was born, you know. And it's like, you know, who's the real Jesus? <laughs> you, know, you know, researchers have shown that, that Jesus probably wasn't even Jewish. <laughs> oh, really? I don't know any researcher. I don't know any, any commentator. I don't know anybody worth their salt at saying that. And then it's a whole magazine article on it because they can't grapple with the fact that he was God. We know where he was born. He died for the sins of the world. All of the, all of the literature points in that direction. They're just tired of that. The constant undermining of the word of God is what it is. So here you have this, these, these systems that come through the church. And I'll call it two systems. There's the Pharisaic system and the Sadducean system. And the Pharisaic system really was largely the problem of the Middle Ages. And that's where rituals came in. That's where additions like purgatory came in. Um, you don't want to tell people they're going to hell. Because if they go to hell, they're just like burning down there. And they're in pain. But you know what? We've really got to pay for St. Peter's Basilica. So why don't we create the doctrine of sort of halfway between, we'll call it purgatory. 
So what you do is you pay the church, you pay us money, and we will take time off for your relatives, for Uncle Bob in purgatory. Pretty good system. And we'll pay, oh, and we'll pay the Pope a ton. And then anything that's left over, we can start paying off St. Peter's Basilica. And after they got that paid off, they got St. Paul's thrown in. Because Peter to the Roman Catholics was way better than Paul. That's how it started, guys. So I called that the Pharisaic system. That's a system where you add to stuff to kind of get you better with God. But then there's the Sadduceum system. And the Sadduceum system are the rationalists. And that's where we are today. The Sadduceum system is where everything's rational. And if it's not rational, then we don't believe it. That's the opposite. And that's where we take away from what we have. So in the Pharisaic system, which became the Roman system, we added to. In the Sadduceum system, we're taking away. You don't need this. Why do we need this? This old book that's ancient. It doesn't say anything to us today that has any practical sense. And so we take it away. And as we do so, we lose Jesus and his power and his love and his anointing in the process. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Wow. Men and women, we have power over the nations. Verse 27. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. You know why I like that? It's because when he came into Jerusalem on that uh, Palm Sunday, they held palms. He's coming not on a donkey, on a white horse, and it ain't going to be a palm. It's going to be a rod of iron. And they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. As I also have received from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has ears to hear. Let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Men and women. The Jezebel church system will be destroyed. The Pharisaic church system is being destroyed. Even as I speak. Those churches are dying. By the millions across the globe. Because there's no power in them. The Sadduceum system will perish. And he is coming. And he'll be on a white horse. And he'll be carrying a rod of iron. And you need to come to Christ. And if you come to Christ. And he gets to be a part of being your Lord. And you start to, to repent. Of any issues in your life. That are in the way of a personal, vital, dynamic, growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's freedom. And that's joy. And that's what I signed up for. And that's what you signed up for. And that's why you're at the road. Because we're on the road less traveled. And that's an exciting road. That's a road of adventure. You've been listening to The Road with Pastor Teacher Steve Holt. We hope you have been blessed by today's message. To connect with us further, visit theroad.org. If you are walking through a difficult time, we want to pray for you. Go to theroad.org, click on the Ministries tab, and go to our prayer page to send us your prayer request. Thanks again for tuning in today, and be sure to listen to the next edition of The Road with Pastor Teacher Steve Holt.